Having, com whoa, having completed the series on believe, we are now returning to 1 Peter. And I say that we are returning to 1 Peter, but we are returning to 1 Peter sort of this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you would like to, you can just follow along in your bulletins this morning or page 1015 of the Blue Bible. In just a few moments, I'll read for us verses 5 and 6. But I want to let you know before I read them why I am preaching on this text this morning. In the first place, I've chosen this text because as we are working our way through 1 Peter, we will come to this section probably in, I don't, I don't know, probably a little over a month we'll come to this particular section. And there'll be a lot to process, a lot to work through as we get to this particular part of Scripture. And I did not want to change what is the very last sentence in this section that takes up really one to six. It's a great and it's a wonderful sentence. And I didn't want to shortchange it when we came to it because there'll be a lot of other things to think about at that point. But that was not the main reason. The main reason is because I think that this last sentence here is a really terrific way to go into the new year. It's something that Lauren and I, uh, a phrase and a verse that Lauren and I have been reflecting on for uh, I think the last two years or so. And it was so good that I thought this is a perfect way to get back into or get into a new year and get back into First uh, Peter. So that's why we're here. However, Having said that, it is very risky what I'm doing today, and I'll tell you why it's risky. This is a really difficult passage that I'm going to be reading for us. And when we hear this passage in a modern and in a contemporary world, it disturbs us. It, it raises all sorts of question marks. In this passage, Peter is addressing the wives who have probably become believers somewhere along the way. They are wives of husbands who are not believers. It's a very difficult setting for these wives. And the counsel that he gives to them would be counsel that probably would have been difficult for them to hear in the day. But for us, we're going to come to it and we're going to bump into, even in just the section that I'm reading for today, we're going to run into words, two of them, submit and obey, that are just really hard for modern ears to hear. They bother us. They disturb us. They rankle us. Frankly, they offend us. They don't offend us if someone says to us, you should submit to God and obey God. But when they are, as they are in this text, applied to a wife with regards to instruction how they should react and interact with their unbelieving husband. And when we hear that one of the examples of this obedience is Sarah calling Abraham Lord, it raises just all kinds of questions in our minds. What do you mean? How could you possibly be saying that? How could you possibly be advising that? In fact, and here's something that will prepare us for a couple of weeks from now. In fact, here's the reality. And tell me, don't tell me right now, if this is not true. That most of the times when you hear the verses that I'm going to be reading, they, they usually result in raised eyebrows, or sarcasm, or snickering. Now, I guarantee you that Peter didn't write these verses as a punchline. 
He wrote these things to be reflected on. This is a hard situation, and he's trying to give input to the church about how you endure this situation, but it's hard. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put the difficulties aside. Okay, I've just spent a lot of time telling you that these difficulties exist, and I want to assure you that we'll get to them. Okay? We will deal with them in a couple of weeks, but I don't want to focus on those difficulties of the passage, that particular aspect of it. I want to put that aside for the day and allow us to realize that these words apply actually to uh, all of us, and I want us to be able to focus on the last sentence, but I had to say those things because I know uh, it's going to be difficult with what I am about to read for us. Okay, that's my intro of it. Remember this, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hear then the word of God. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Lord, we pray that you would help us as a people to hear these words today, to receive them not as even words merely from a preacher or words even from an apostle, but as your words that you have given to your church that we might walk in you, that we might understand what we are to believe, how we are to live, so that we would live lives that are glorifying to you and enjoying in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So there you go. That's the last phrase. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Words that were originally addressed to the wife of an unbelieving husband in the first century AD in the northern part of Turkey, and words that apply to every single Christian, every time, everywhere, in every culture, in every situation. Woman, man, child, husband, wife, single, married, widowed, young, old, somewhere in the middle, someone who is a Jewish person or a Gentile person, a black person or a white person, a person who lives in Turkey or a person who lives in Jerusalem or a person who lives in Rome or a person who lives somewhere around here. It doesn't make any difference. These exhortation from the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ to the church. This exhortation is transcendent and you can find it all over the scriptures. All over the pages of the scriptures applied. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves, God addresses us. He addresses what is going on in our hearts and he addresses what is going on in our lives. Internally, he says to us, my people, don't be afraid. Don't 
fret over the things that are going to happen to you, that you are going to experience in this world, that you're going to hear about in this world. Do not be afraid. Or, if we want to put it in the language that we read in the Joshua passage, be strong and courageous. Right? Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Instead, be strong and courageous. God says, internally, internally, my people, don't be afraid. And externally, he tells us what to do. Do that which is good. Do that which is good. Those are the two things that God says to us. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, for years, for me, and I trust you've heard me preach this from the pulpit or in conversations any number of times, I know for me and I hope for you that an exhortation like this, or this exhortation in particular, is simplifying, it is clarifying for us in terms of our walk with the Lord in this world. As often as we come to these commands, these two commands, and frankly, it is quite often because they are all over Scripture, they are all over this book of First Peter and all over Scripture as well, as often as we come to them, they, at least for me, and I hope for you, have a, I'm going to call it a decluttering effect. There's a lot of things that go on in our hearts. There's a lot of things that go on in our world. And, and these two simple commands, do good, do not fear, kind of push all that to the side and leave me feeling fresh in terms of what the Lord would have for me and for us as his people. The fog dissipates, the clouds clear when we hear, don't be afraid and do good. It's a, it's, it's a restoration of equilibrium. Say, okay, got it. I, I understand the simplicity of it. And thus, this seems to me to be a great way to go into the new year. Uh, I'm not suggesting this, but if, if, if one were to make a resolution out of the verse that we're considering today, you know, you'd make a resolution that sounded something like this, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me, I resolve, I resolve not to be controlled by fear, not to be owned by fear, but in this new year to seek by God's grace to be courageous and to do that which is good. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that that should be a New Year's resolution for you, but at least it should be a prayer coming out of the Word of God preached to us today. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to not be afraid of things that might be frightening in my life and help me to be a person who does kindness who has this fruit of the Spirit, this ki kindness that is inside of me, this uh, benevolence that is inside of me because of what the Spirit of God has done and who has or is seeking to be beneficent to people, to then do good to the people who are around me now in those two things, whether it be a resolution or whether it be a prayer. I put two phrases in there. I put the phrases... Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit or by the grace of God. And then in the prayer, I included the line, Lord, help me to do those things. And, and what I want to say here is, is this. Those aren't platitudes when you're referring to doing good and not being afraid. Those aren't just nice things that we say so that we sound humble and give credit to somebody else. 
Because here's the, here's the reality. While, while these two commands are pervasive throughout Scripture, and while I think all of us, I, I, I know I'm referencing myself personally because they're so important to me, but I think all of us can pretty quickly get a handle on these two commands in their simplicity and their clarity. What we've got to realize is that we can never, ever pretend that they are within easy reach for us, right? It's, it's easy to say these things. It's easy, relatively speaking, to say, do good and don't be afraid. But oh, what do the scriptures teach us? I mean, what do the scriptures say about this? What do our own lives say about it, right? It says, when I want to do right, when I want to do the good thing that scripture has told me to do, and which I agree with the scripture, you tell me to do the good thing, you ask me, do I want to do the good thing? I say right away, yeah, I do. I want to do that which is good, but the scriptures teach us when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I mean, the visual isn't too hard to imagine here, right? When I want to do that which is good, evil is right there. It's just a few impulses of my, my brain away. It's just a few electrons firing off that evil is sitting right there. It's a few clicks away. It's a few steps away from us. I have the desire, and if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the desire to do the good thing, to do the right thing. But the ability to carry it out is a whole different story. And you know here, I'm just paraphrasing Paul in Romans chapter 7, but it's just one of those places that gives such, again, clarity to the struggle that goes on with these things. So, let's come then to this text here in Peter and let's take it apart a little bit. Now, both of these commands, doing good and not being afraid, are found throughout, as I've already said, throughout the book of 1 Peter. This isn't the only place. With respect to doing good, I'm actually now going to take that and I'm going to lay that aside. I've preached on it before, and believe me, even as soon as we really get back into 1 Peter next week, it'll come right up again, and it's going to come up a number of times uh, in, in the rest of the letter, as we will see. So, so I'm now going to lay aside doing good, and I want to focus on not being afraid of anything that is uh, frightening. Uh, that, too, is found throughout the letter. We've already read in the letter, for example, of the, the appropriate fear of God that we should have. That was back in chapter 1. And just a few verses beyond, beyond what we're looking at today, Peter will say this, and listen to how these two things are put together. This is 13 and 14 of chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that is to say, suffer for doing good, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, so that, that's the exact same idea here applied to wives in a difficult circumstance. There applied more generally to people who have done a good thing and are going to get abuse for having done that good thing. So these are, are out there, but let's look in particular, do not fear anything that is frightening. I trust that in that phrase, do not fear anything that is frightening, we can appreciate the comprehensiveness of the word anything 
anything. It's an emphasis. It's an emphasis here. It's an emphasis in the original languages. In the context, it belongs to wives of unbelieving husbands who perhaps are mocking their new faith or maybe they're trying to be intimidating to them and, and, and mock them for the faith and not allow them to participate in the life of the church or, uh, or saying to them, listen, there are going to be consequences. If you continue to do this, the expectation of the day would have been that the wife would follow after the husband's religion. And so Peter addresses this to them He's not addressing an individual marriage, uh, and so he doesn't specify particularly what's going on. But he says comprehensively, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of anything or of anyone. Now, he's not pretending there's not going to be difficulties in this. There are going to be difficulties, and he's already addressed the difficulties that are there. But regardless of that, don't be afraid of anything. Now, with a command like that, you could put the period in a number of places, right? You could, you could just have the command, do not fear, period. You could then take it and say, do not fear anything, period. But he goes uh, with one more word, one more phrase that it seems to me really humanizes this and, and serves to minister to our souls when he says, do not fear anything that is frightening. Do not fear anything that is frightening. And I think the clear pastoral, the apostolic acknowledgement here are that there are things in this world, things that are going to, or have in the past perhaps, grabbed at your heart or even right now, right at this moment, at this period in your life, are grabbing at your heart, and those things are going to do all that they possibly can to make you afraid. To make you scared in this world. The psalmist David in Psalm 56 says it this way, and I'll come back to this in a few moments. He says, when I am afraid, When I am afraid, and then he goes on to say what he's going to do when he is afraid. This is the same David who would instruct the people of God, don't be afraid. Do not fear, do not fret, trust in the Lord. But he recognizes that, hey, the reality of living in this world as people who are strugglers in this world to follow after God, the reality is there are things that are going to grab hold of us and be frightening for us. Countless things that at least are, at a minimum, potentially frightening in a world that is in a state of sin and misery, and in a church that has people that are in that estate in sin and misery, and for you individually, because your heart still has elements in it of that sin and misery that exist. Think of all the things, for just a moment here, that are scary in this world. When you were young, or if you are young now, there are things for you that were very frightening. They were things for you that were scary. And when you thought about them, they made you afraid. Now, parents, I'm not going to do something right now. I don't like to implant ideas in young minds by articulating these things, but you know what they are, okay? 
and perhaps afterwards, in a ser- after a sermon, you can go home and talk about, did you hear the pastor talking about these things? Let's talk about this particular thing, but I'm not going to put the ideas out there right now. But perhaps some of those fears that you had when you were younger, you got over. Now, maybe you had fears of certain things. They were hard for you when you were younger, but you got over them. Or perhaps those very same fears that you had when you were younger are fears in your life that have actually picked up speed over the years. They've actually been like a snowball rolling along, and they've gathered more things to them that are attached to it now, and they're a bigger fear than they used to be. I mean, think about all the things we can be afraid of. There's fear of the future. There's plenty of uncertainty that exists in life. There's financial fears. Will we have enough? There's fears regarding our jobs. Am I going to be employed on a long-term basis? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? There's fears of embarrassment that exist, fears of failure. There are fears of being discovered, of being found out, that people would find out things about us that we would prefer that they not know. There's fear of governmental control. There's fear in Christians with respect to the trajectory of our culture. How many conversations amongst Christians start off with, I'm afraid of the way I see things going in our culture? There's fear. What is that going to mean for the people of God? What is it going to mean for my children, for my grandchildren? There's fears of getting sick. There's fears of hearing a doctor say, this is terminal, or you have cancer. There's fears of COVID. There's fears of the loss of someone you love. There's fears of those who don't like you, who consider you to be an enemy or at least an opponent. There's all kinds of fears. There's fears of the progress of technology in the world. There is no end to the list of things that can be frightening to us. And all of us know this, we are wonderfully inventive when it comes to fears. If a fear isn't actual, we can make it up. We can figure it out. It doesn't take us really any work at all to become afraid of something. We can create the very thing that we are going to be afraid of. You can see this in childhood, and you can see it in a little more subtle ways in adulthood as well. People put it in books, they put it in movies, and if it doesn't go into books and movies, it at least is in our head. We create things to be afraid of. Now, the word that is used here, do not fear, that first word for fear is a very common word. It's the word from which we get our word phobia. It actually is the word phobia. Um, and, And we know how many phobias there are out in the world. The word frightening is a little bit of a different word. It's, it's, it's not quite as common of a word. In fact, as a noun, this is the only place that it's used in the New Testament. But it's used as a verb in two other places. Again, that's very few times. But at least I think it gives us a little bit of, uh, of understanding of what it means, something that is frightening. So two passages. One, in Luke 21, Jesus says this, when you hear of wars and of tumults, do not be terrified. 
Okay, so he's instructing his disciples, he's in instructing his followers. When you hear those, when you hear about them, wars and tumults, don't be terrified. That's, that's our word, terrified, right there. And then in uh, Luke 24, when Jesus appears to his disciples on the evening of the resurrection and says, peace to you, of course, those words have the actual opposite effect of what he intended for them. Uh, they don't, in fact, create peace when he speaks them. Instead, we hear this, that they were startled, that's our word there, they were startled, or some translations, they were terrified and frightened, phobia, that's our earlier word uh, there, they were startled and frightened because they thought they saw a spirit. So wars can scare us. If you lived in Ukraine right now, you'd be a little bit more afraid of a war than you are right at the moment here in Conshohocken. Spirits would certainly startle us. Anything could frighten us, but the Spirit of God through the Apostle of Jesus Christ says, do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Let's recognize some things. First of all, the passage assumes hard things are going to happen in life. The passage here doesn't assume that all fears are pretend things that we, we have invented. It assumes the hard things. It's addressing people who are in the midst of hard situations. So there's no pretending that's going on in the passage today. Difficult and trying circumstances that are potentially frightening are going to happen to the people of God. This is not a statement that says, hey, everything's going to be fine. Nothing bad ever is going to happen to you, therefore there's nothing to fear. That this is not that. The passage also assumes that we will use wisdom and diligence to endure, to prepare, and even to mitigate some of these situations. So the, the passage doesn't assume some kind of a, a brazen cavalier attitude, just walk into the midst of any situation and don't be afraid. It says, no, be careful what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. The instructions that are given to the wives are very precise in dealing with the situation so as to mitigate the conflict that might otherwise exist. Peter doesn't say to him, hey, listen, just go proclaim the gospel every day over and over again. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of anything. That's not the message that is here. So the point, my point is here, these are real situations that exist, and not being afraid does in any way exclude diligent preparation for and reflection on the situation to say, what can I do to minimize what is happening here? What can, I, what can I do best in this situation that is honoring to the Lord, that is helpful and not destructive in the situation here? But the call then is in the midst of those things, don't be afraid of them. So again, easy to say, but Peter also gives us some insight here into how to do this. And that insight is given for us in, and I'm just gonna look at this briefly, but in the verses that I've read, in 5 and in 6, what precedes the exhortation is Peter saying this, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Hope in God is the antidote to debilitating fear. Hope in God is the antidote to that debilitating fear. 
fear. Hope in God is hope in all of the gospel. It's hope in all of the promises. It's hope in all of the truth about God. It's hope in the entirety of Christ, the whole Christ. Remember, Peter is writing to exiles. He knows they are in a difficult situation. And the first thing that he says to them is, you have been born again into a living hope. A living hope. Hope in God. That's how people used to deal with these fears. That's how you need to deal with this situation as well. Hope in God. Adorn yourselves. Adorn yourselves inside and adorn yourselves outside with hope in God carefully and deliberately. Listen to how Psalm 56, which I quoted earlier, continues. David says this, When I am afraid, this is the dialogue that's going on inside, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I will trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? See, that's a rehearsing. That's putting it on. That's putting it on inside. I will put my trust in God. I will put my trust in God. That's that's an adornment that is taking place there. But then, let's talk about the adornment. There's the hope in God, but let's talk about the adornment. The adornment here is internal in what we just saw in David, but it manifests itself externally as well. Because you overcome fear, not merely by saying, I will trust in God, I will trust in God, I will trust in God, but by doing. By doing. And the three things that are mentioned here in the two verses that we've read are by submitting, by obeying, and by doing what is good. You can't overcome fear by sitting still and trying to overcome fear. You have to do that, and then you have to get up, and you have to do. And that's what Peter is encouraging here. When when you do these things, when you do that which is good, you are clothing yourselves, you are adorning yourselves in Christ. Doing good is a defense against paralyzing fear. Paralyzing fear wants you to sit still and not do anything until you get over it. Doing good helps to deal with that fear. And third, there's a comment here saying, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Well, whose children are you? Of course, the answer is you're Sarah's children. You are, with Sarah and then with Isaac, children of the promise. You're Sarah's children. Peter is holding up Sarah as an example of someone who wasn't afraid or who dealt with the fears. Now, if you know Sarah, her life isn't a perfect example of these things, to be sure. But what Peter is saying is, listen, you've been born again. You're in a new family. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses to encourage and exemplify this faithful life for us. And so he's saying, remaining in that family, remembering that family, imitating that family, and being together with that family is a defense against isolating fear. If you keep yourself from this family right here, this family right now, you will not get over your fears. If you are with this family, the people of God, who by faith have the family that extends back to Sarah and back beyond Sarah, that's the way when those isolating fears begin to be overcome. 
So friends, we live, here's the reality, in a dark world with lots of monsters, and those monsters are determined to make you afraid. And so we'll end with this. The Dawn Treader sailed across the sea and headed towards the Dark Island and went into the space of the Dark Island. And there it was utterly black and it was a nightmarish place where the terrors of one's own mind abounded. It is described by Lewis and by the Lord Roop who is there as this is the place where dreams come true and no, not the good dreams that you're thinking of, not daydreams, but no, this is the place where dreams come true. They're desperate, they are surrounded by blackness and darkness and in desperation, Lucy cries out for help. And an albatross at that moment appears and circled the mast three times. And it got closer to her, and as it circled the mast, it whispered three words into Lucy's ear. Anybody got them? Be a participatory sermon here for a minute. Anybody got the three words? What is it, Jack? Very good. Courage, dear heart. You and Danny got it. <laughs> you and Danny. Courage, dear heart. And then it, we read, the voice had a delicious smell that breathed in her face. And when they broke out of the darkness into the sunlight, Lewis writes this, and all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. So here's the reality, friends. One day, you and I are going to fall asleep. And we will fall asleep, no doubt, after a struggle, after something that is hard. And we will fall asleep, and then we'll wake up. And we'll wake up into the land of eternal day, of eternal light. And we'll, we'll smell a, a freshness that is the breath of the Lamb of God in that land. And we'll look at one another, and we'll say... What were we ever afraid of? What were we ever afraid of? Elders will look at each other and say, what were we ever afraid of? Deacons, you'll say that. Friends, you'll say that. Those of us who have sat together in hospital rooms with dying relatives or facing our own mortality, we will look at each other and say, what were we ever afraid of? And so as we go into 2022, Hope in God, do good, and courage, dear heart. Great God in heaven, uh, help us, Lord, to walk in these things, not merely to hear them, but to walk in them as your people whom you've gathered together. Be gracious to us, Lord, and help us to have all of our trust be in you. Lord, deal with us, deal gently with us, and help us to trust in you, we pray. Amen.